Good morning, Poetry Baptist Church. We had a great day yesterday here on the campus. Uh, we had probably one of our most highly attended uh, work days that I've been a part of in many, many months. We got a lot of great things accomplished. And uh, I'm just thankful to everyone who showed up and lended a helping hand. So thank you if you were a part of that in any way. Uh, today, as we continue in our Equip series in the Gospel of Matthew, we are going to be in Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 to 48. Matthew 5, 43 to 48. I'm going to read that for us, give you a moment just to turn there. I'm reading from the HCSB. Here we go. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Matthew 5, 43-48. I have a slide that I'm going to show next. I want you to kind of dial in. It's not going to stay up there for too long, so. I don't know if you recognize that guy or not, but his name is Vizzini. And Vizzini is from the movie The Princess Bride. And throughout the movie The Princess Bride, Vizzini walks around over and over again saying the word, Inconceivable. Inconceivable. The reason why I bring that up is because Vizzini's friend, Inigo Montoya, says to Vizzini at some point, after he said it over and over and over again, I don't think it means what you think it means. And I think that's what God would say to us about the word love. I don't think it means what you think it means. See, we throw around this word love. We say we love a new pair of shoes. We love a TV show. We love french fries. We love a sale. We love going on vacation. We love our new puppy. We love something that we saw on the internet. We love, 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 love. And then it comes to Jesus and we say we love Jesus too. And I wonder... If Jesus isn't standing there in the throne room of heaven looking down at us saying, I don't think it means what you think it means. We read a scripture verse together just moments ago, and I know after we read it and we shake hands and greet one another, a lot of times that seed is that which falls on the hard-packed soil, and the enemy comes along like that bird and snatches it up, and it's quickly forgotten. So I'm going to read this for us again because it has everything to do with today's message. 
This is from Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Isaiah 55, 8-9. As we were reading just a moment ago from Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said, You've heard it said, Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But what is that thing, love? What is it? I heard a pastor some years ago now say that his assessment, the greatest indicator of whether or not someone is truly a follower of Jesus Christ is our capacity, our ability to love our enemies. And I don't think I would disagree with that at all. Love. So what is love? Well, many of you have been to weddings in the past, and I ask you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Many people have referred to this as the love chapter in the Bible. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard the pastor or someone else read this passage or this chapter of Scripture all about love. And I wonder still, I don't know if it means what we think it means. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about, If I speak in languages of men and angels but do not have love, I am a sounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And it goes on to talk about all these different things that indicate love. And we read that at weddings. In verse 7, in the HCSB it says, It bears all things. That word in the Greek is from the verb stego, which means to keep water out. I don't think the accurate, most accurate translation there is to bear all things. The NIV says that it protects or preserves. If you're in a boat and that boat doesn't keep water out, which is what stego means, to keep water out, then that boat's going to sink and it doesn't really do anything. It doesn't really function. The next word, believes, is from the Greek word pistuo, faith, to have faith, not to believe in all things as if all religions, everything that's out there in the world, we're supposed to believe all things as if they're equal, but it's to have faith, to believe in all things from God's Word. All Scripture is God-breathed is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The next work there, it says hope, hopes in all things, or hopes for all things. El pizzo, to trust, or to have hope in. And then the last one is hupomeno, endures all things. It means to stay behind, to await to persevere, to endure. And I wonder, as we read those things, and we go to a wedding, and we see a bride and a groom standing there in the Disney fairy tale princess wedding, if they really understand what that word love means. Is that groom really and truly ready to do the things that are necessary for his bride? 
Is He going to protect and preserve her? To waterproof that boat of their marriage? To have faith in God's Word? To believe in all things that He said? To hope to endure all things? Or at the first sign of trouble, when the Disney fairy tale wedding gets a little bit old? When the, when the guild wears off a little bit? And reality kind of starts to settle in? And the honeymoon's over? And in some cases, it's a week. Maybe it's six months. Maybe it's five years. And we look across at one another and we say, that's not the person. That's not the princess. That's not the prince who I stood on the stage with. And that means you don't really know what love is. You aren't really going into it with any really serious commitment to love and honor and to cherish that person You were just going into it with selfish endeavor. Selfish thoughts. It's good for me. It works out because I find that person attractive or they've got the right number of zeros in their bank account. And when those things change, maybe they're in a car accident and they're confined to a wheelchair. Maybe they have a stroke or a a ruptured brain aneurysm and we have to feed our spouse. We say, I didn't sign up for that. And then we look for the easy way out. And we see the billboard on the highway that says 1-800-DIVORCE. And we call that number instead of going into God's Word. I don't think it means what you think it means. See, if we really want to know what love is, we've got to look at some other passages. So I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians 11. I'd love to go to a wedding someday, and if someone asks me, and I want all of you young people who are maybe going to be married someday, and you want to think about asking Pastor Kevin to be the one who does your wedding for you, I want you to file this away. Because Pastor Kevin's probably going to pull out something like 2 Corinthians 11. Instead of the romantic version in 1 Corinthians, see what happens in about verse... 23 is this is Paul talking about his sufferings for Christ. Paul talks about with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times, 40 lashes minus one. Five times, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. I've been in danger from rivers, from robbers, from my own people, from Gentiles. I've experienced danger in the cities, in the open country, at sea, by false brothers. See, people who Paul thought he could call friends. And then the next thing he knew, they were stabbing him in the back. He experienced sleepless nights, hunger, and thirst. Often he went without food. Freezing cold, naked. And then in verse 
28, Paul says, not to mention. Not to mention the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. All this other stuff, and then you take on top of that my care for all of the churches. And what that does to the average person in ministry is they crumble. And Paul says, that's what love looks like. It doesn't look like a Disney princess fairy tale wedding. It doesn't look like a moment in time where all of your friends are dressed perfectly. It doesn't look like that. Maybe it looks like Psalm 23. We spent quite a bit of time going through Psalm 23 back at the end of last year. And in Psalm 23, the psalm that most people know about the Good Shepherd, a Davidic psalm. And in verse 5, David says to the Lord, he says, You prepare a table before me, a lavish banquet in the presence of my enemies. That's what love looks like. Why would God prepare a lavish banquet for David in the presence of his enemies? To taunt them? No. To teach them, this is what happens when you love God Almighty, your Creator. See, you're on the wrong side of this fight. And in Matthew chapter 5, when God says, love your enemies, see, what you heard in the past was love your neighbor. Love the person that it's convenient. Love the person who loves you. Who's going to show you some attention. Who's going to build you up. But see, the person who gives you a little bit of grief, the person that's kind of like sandpaper, the person that's in opposition to God that asks you, why do you believe in the fairy tale that is Jesus? And we say, I'm not going to talk to that person anymore. How could they? And Scripture tells us that that's exactly the person that God wants us to love. Psalm 88 one of the sons of Korah. He's talking about having lost everything in his life. He cries out before God day and night, lifting up his prayers. He's in the pit. He's like a man without strength, abandoned among the dead. I'm like the slain in the grave, whom you, God, no longer remember. I'm cut off from your care. But then, he goes on to say, that his desire, I cry out to you all day long, I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do departed spirits rise up to praise you? Will your faithful love be declared in the grave? What he really wants to know is, God, if you just give me a chance, if you just deliver me from these circumstances, what I'm going to do with your deliverance is I'm going to go and I'm going to sing your praises to the ends of the earth. Is that what we do? Or do we just say, that's what I deserve? What I do with the, the freedoms and the entitlements that I have as an American, as someone who's got my own house and hot and cold running water and a shower and food, and I never really have to worry about where my next meal is coming from. 
And what do we do with that? In the book of Jonah, one of my favorite stories of the Bible, Jonah is absolutely angry with God. God says, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I want you to share the gospel, the good news of who I am, a God of mercy and of love. And Jonah says, I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction, God. I'm going to go in the complete opposite direction because I know what kind of God you are. If I left it to you, my enemies, the Ninevites, that you're probably going to rescue them from sin. You're going to do a miraculous work. And that's exactly what happens. The giant fish spits Jonah up. He goes into the city of Nineveh. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 3, Jonah set out the first day, I'm sorry, in verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah set out on the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, I just wonder maybe someday if I ever just got up and my sermon was Jonah's sermon. In 40 days, Nineveh will be overthrown. In 40 days, bad stuff is going to come on all of you. If you don't repent from your evil ways. That was his sermon. And you all know what happened? I hope you do. It says in the next verse, the men of Nineveh believed in God. And you know what Jonah's response was? Bitterness and anger. I knew it! I knew that you were going to lavish your love on my enemies! I knew it! In chapter 4 he says, he prayed to the Lord, please Lord, isn't this what I said? Well, I was still in my own country. That's why I fled toward Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God, slow to become angry, rich in faithful love. See, because it wasn't just for us. It wasn't just for Israel. Your intention was to redeem all of humanity. And I knew it. So I hated my enemy and I ran. In Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Consider others more important than yourselves. Romans 5.8, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, while we were still enemies of God, Christ died for us. And we use this word love. Love, love, love. And in 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. So I have a question for us, Poetry Baptist Church. I have a question for you as an individual. Are we truly doing that? Are we truly loving as Jesus loved? See, because that's what, that's what Scripture says. Is that we, the church, that who we're going to be is salt and light, is that we are going to be Christ incarnate in this world. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? And then my question is are we just plain church? My fear is the latter of those two is true. 
That's my fear. See, because as Inigo Montoya said to Vizzini, I don't think it means what you think it means. I think that we get wrapped up in potluck lunches. I think we get wrapped up in doing things that we think are important. And I wonder if Jesus Christ was standing here today and asked us that very question. Are you doing what I commanded you to do? Or are you playing church? We went over this just a few weeks ago in Matthew chapter 3. The axe is already at the root. This was John the Baptist speaking. Already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I wonder as a church, as a tree, are we a fruit tree that's producing good fruit? I think if we looked back over the past year and a half, and we said, what kind of fruit have we produced? Would we be proud as a church? You've heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. See, we don't do things to merit our salvation, but we do them to demonstrate the reality of whether or not we've been born again by the Spirit, whether or not we're truly disciples of Jesus Christ, so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Love. I don't think it means what you think it means. See, the gospel truth is, is that there's a need. We like to think that when we think about enemies, that it has to do with us. Well, it's the person who lives next door to me that stays up too late and plays their music too loud, and I'm supposed to love that person. That's possible. But it's bigger than that, see, because it's not about us. It's not about the people who are irritating to us. It's about the people who don't know Christ as their Lord and Savior. It's the people who, like us, at some point in our lives, were in opposition to the gospel. And someone was bold enough, someone was brave enough, someone was dedicated enough. Maybe it was a mom or a dad. Maybe it was a pastor Maybe it was just some random evangelist that came knocking on your door. And you looked through the peephole and you thought it was someone else, and when you opened it, darn, darn, I thought that was my buddy. And it turns out that it's some guy asking me whether or not I know I'm going to heaven. That took time out of his day to go from door to door and be rejected even worse than a vacuum salesman. See, because that's part of my story. There's a need. And in Romans chapter 6, 23, it says, for the wages of sin is death. All of us fall into that category, right? At some point, when we came into this world, we were sinners. 
separated from God. That's the gospel truth. Every single one of us comes into this world separated from God. But see, the beauty of that verse as it continues is, but the gift of God, some translations render it, but the free gift of God is the eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, that's the life. What Jesus did for us at the cross, that's love. When we think about love, is that what we're thinking about? I don't know if it means what we think it means. Early on in Matthew's Gospel, he called those disciples, and he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And it says they left their nets immediately, and they followed after Jesus. When Jesus called you, did you leave things behind? Did you leave anything behind? Did you leave your sin? Did you leave all of your entitlements? Did you leave your former life? Did you leave it all behind? See, at Poetry Baptist Church, our mission is to pursue win and disciple the lost, deluded, and disillusioned for God's glory. It's not something that we just pulled out of thin air. You won't find those exact words here in the Bible. But I, I would stand up and I'd go to war with anybody and tell them that those are, that's biblical truth right there. See, because that's what Jesus did. He pursued us by stepping down from heaven into this earth. He wins us by going to the cross. He discipled those first men. And He left them behind to disciple someone else, to disciple someone else. And eventually it came to you. Are you the, are you the dead end? Are you where it stops? Or are you going to pass that blessing on?